0: You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Wasn't the worship team amazing? Man, I love this church. I just love... The commitment and what God's doing, it's been really cool. Uh, It was fun being at the carnival. Someone was texting me, they're like, Hey, how are you doing, all volunteers? And I'm like, Actually, we we got a lot of people volunteering. And they're like, Yeah, it's weird to be at a church where people serve. (laughs) And I'm like, I know, it's awesome, but we're just so thankful. Um, Today's a special weekend, and it's not just because it's my uh, daughter's birthday. She's going to be five years old. Uh, When you have a daughter and you reach for the microphone, these are the things that you actually find sitting next to you. I was like, I'm going to hand Jana that when she went up to host. Uh, but it most, I, I know that's important, but really importantly as a nation uh, and just um, obviously uh, today and this weekend we recognize veterans. And I think it's just really important, honestly, the reason that we're here, the reason that, you know, not only in this country, but specifically when we're celebrating America right now, the veterans that have served. But just the freedom to be here and to worship is just special. And I was really dwelling on that. Uh, This morning and just thinking about that all around the world, there's people who don't have that freedom. And I was joking with someone the other day because they were talking about wanting something free that the government was going to give them. And I said, nothing's free. It always costs somebody something, either their life or their time or distance. And even right now, there are people around the world uh, in different places who are serving to make sure that you and I have this great right and this great freedom. And so we're thankful for that. And so I want to make sure if you have uh, served or are currently serving in the armed forces in any capacity, would you, if there's any of you here, would you just stand? I want to honor and thank you just real quick. Thank you so much, (laughs) Mr. Bob, our man. We're just so appreciative. I, I think it'd be right as a church for us, since we have the freedom to be here and assemble to worship, just pray together, especially for those who I have served and are currently serving. Uh, can we just pray together this morning as Banner Church? God, we thank you for the blessing that it is uh, to live in a country and to eat of the fruits of others' sacrifice. And God, may we never get fat on the fruit and neglect to remember the sacrifice. May we always remember that there are those who gave their life, and we know your word says that, man, that love has no greater than this, and a man would give up his life for a friend, for another, and for some people they never even met, for people that they never will meet, and yet there are those that have paid the ultimate sacrifice, and there are those that paid the sacrifice of being distant from their families, and those that continue to sacrifice by being away from the ones they loved, and the military families that sacrifice by being home and holding it together. And so, God, we pray just your blessing upon them. We pray protection upon them. We pray for the families that you would protect and guard them. God, we pray for those men and women who are in service all around the world, God, that you would protect them. God, we thank you for what they do for this country. And God, we pray just a blessing upon them that you would guard their heart, their mind, their soul, and their body. We thank you for those who constantly serve in the armed forces. And uh, God, may we as uh, your people, may we remember sacrifice. God, lest we forget what it took to receive the blessing that we have. And God, as much as we want to celebrate tomorrow, I pray that we would remember tomorrow and that we would honor and that we would be people that resemble our core value of Banner Church and honor those who have gone before and continue to go. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I think it's a great weekend. It's been really cool to see. Thank you, everybody that came and volunteered. And Uh, Thank you, everybody uh, who's a part of Teams this morning. It's been really cool to see. Uh, it's been really cool to see what God has been doing, uh, just bringing people into church. Uh, I'm a, I'm really excited for Discover. We ordered more food because people are coming and trying to get plugged in and get connected. And, it, you know, if you're going to go to church, you might as well have a good time and get plugged in and know people, right? Uh, so I just really encourage you. It's going to be a great time. But I want to say thank you. There's just some awesome people that have got a hold of that. Uh, and thank you, everybody that's been bringing toys. Uh, we got 200, over 250 toys donated by uh, Toys for Tots this weekend, went and picked those up with my father-in-law, and uh, they are such great need, and when I was standing in the carnival this weekend, and I was seeing all these kids, I had one thought, and it was this, we need more toys, so if you see that amount of toys back there, we need five times that of many toys, so uh, we want to just love on those families, and so I'll encourage you, be a part of that, go hit those Black Friday deals, if you're going to run over somebody at Walmart, run them over for Jesus. Um, <laughs> Please don't actually do that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I'm thankful this Sunday. You know, I'm thinking a lot about sacrifice. You know, I, 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 lo- I love those things. I love those things about our country. I love honoring uh, not only our veterans but also all of our first responders and all of uh, the people that are so crucial in running into danger to make sure that we are safe. If you're in this church and you're a part of that, we honor you. We thank you. We love you for those that are willing to sacrifice your personal safety for the safety of others. I think there's really something powerful uh, about that as a person. It takes a special kind of person, and we love you for having that heart and that uh, passion. Um, And we're going to jump into this Exodus series, and I've really enjoyed Uh, walking through what God's trying to speak in Exodus through us, and today I I feel like he's got kind of one big idea, and when you're writing a sermon on uh, this portion of scripture, the plagues, it takes a little time to really study and be like, okay, what's God trying to say to his people as he absolutely crushes these other people with flies, Uh, and so I was praying a lot this week, and okay, God, what are you trying to say uh, through this, and um Really brought to my mind and to my heart one of my heroes, a missionary hero by the name of Jim Elliott. And if you don't know who Jim Elliott is, Jim Elliott was a young man, uh, and he had a group of friends, and they felt called to missions. And so uh, he was a successful student, and and he was a good-looking young guy, had a wife and a kid, and uh, could have done a lot of things, but felt called by God to reach an unreached people group. And, uh, and, and so he got his family together, and they headed south, like, of the world to go to the jungle where nobody had reached these unre- unreached people groups for the gospel. And they set up a base camp, and people were like, man, why are you going? You could do anything. You could make all kinds of money. And he's like, no, this is what God has called me to. This is where he's called me to go. This is the life he's called me to lay down in service of him. And, and I love this, this attitude that, that Jim Elliott had. And so they begin to establish contact with this tribe, right? They find this tribe. (coughs) They're flying over with planes. They end up, you know, they're dropping stuff. They get contact with the tribe. It's a huge day. They load everything up. They got the Bibles that they're trying to kind of translate into this language because there's no Bible in this language. They can't read the gospel. And so they're, like, trying to translate it. They're trying to make these connections. They land, and then they go radio silent. And uh, I don't know if you've done anything where radios are important, but radio silence can either mean it's something really good is happening or something very bad is happening. Uh, In this case, it happened to mean that something very bad was happening. And what had happened was when they met the tribe, the tribe murdered them. So they had made an encounter and they had begun discussions with some of the tribe, but some other members of the tribe took issue with that came to the beach as they encountered them again and killed them. And And I think it's those moments where we as people struggle the most when the plan and purpose of God comes face to face with the evil of man. And, and man can be very evil. I know sometimes we like to live in illusion that he can't, but he can. And if you want evidence, I'll buy you a history book, and we'll read it together. <laughs> And you'll see that I'm right. Man is profoundly capable of doing immeasurable amounts of evil to other people. And in this case, that happened. And so often we ask those things like, how could anything good come from this? Why would God call this guy with a family, with these things to this? And, and the guy just ends up dying. What a waste of a life. What a waste. But I think what we see in the life of Jamelia and what we're, what we're going to see in Exodus is that God's plans and his purpose are greater than the evil of men. This is so important. If you get anything this morning from Exodus, my prayer is that you would get that, that sometimes though evil seems so great and so overwhelming and so victorious in a moment, that the evil of man will never thwart God's plans, purpose, and blessing for his people. That the evil of man is not greater than the power of God. Are you with me? And so Moses, as we're catching up with him uh, here in uh, Exodus 7, which we're going to read in just a moment. You can open your Bibles if you want to hop there. Uh, Exodus 7, as we're catching up with Moses, Moses is now 80 years old. So he's seen some stuff. He's been around. So if you're like, I don't know if God can use me. I might be too old. Well, Moses was 80, and he delivered a million people out of Egypt. So (laughs) the qualifications of God are different than ours usually. And, and so Moses is, is tasked to bring a liberation message to Pharaoh. And God sends him to do something. And I know we're like, oh, yeah, he's called to go in front of Pharaoh. I think we need to think about what God is calling him to. It's very similar almost to what Jim Elliot's facing, is facing. It's almost a death sentence in this moment. Because Moses is going before the most powerful and historically one of the most evil men of the world to tell them, hey, release a million of the people that are working for free. And I don't know if you know much about history, but historically, that has not been a great plan to go in front of a supremely evil man and tell him, hey, you know, all these people that work for you for free, go ahead and just let them go forever. Right. And so Moses is called by God to liberate his people from slavery. And that's what we're going to pick up. Exodus seven. If you're with me, say amen. All right. Crack your Bibles open if you got them. If not, the words will be on the screen. We're going to read some scripture today. I'm going to cover a lot of scripture, so you're just going to have to roll with me. Uh, And you are, you just love the Lord, so you're going to go back and read all this later anyways. I know that, so we'll just, we'll hit the big parts together. Uh, 7-1, Exodus 7, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you. And your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Good call. Now, Moses was 80 years old. God can use you. And Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then... Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Okay, that's pretty wild. Right there, that'd probably be a whole sermon, but we can't stay there forever. Uh, but this is the beginning of what the Hebrews called 11 signs and wonders. We call it the 10 plagues. For some reason, we skip this first and we're like, I don't know, it's stick snakes. We've heard that for three weeks. We're good. Uh, but they called this the 11 signs and wonders. And this first one is actually a demonstration, right? It's a sign of God's power. It's a sign of throw the snake down. It becomes a the snake. Then the magicians are like, we can make snakes too. And then God's like, no, you can't. Rolf. And eat some. But most importantly, it's a sign of God's sovereignty as the Lord. And I, what follows is what we would call the plagues. It, there's ten plagues. It culminates with, with the tenth one. We're going to hit these nine in succession because I think they're important read together. And sometimes it's important to, to go in-depth in every line. We love to do that here as well. Sometimes it's important to get the, the broad understanding of what God's trying to speak in this moment. And so God does nine individual plagues. These are these signs and wonders, and they increase each time. And if you read scripture, you'll notice a combination of long, short, short. You'll also notice that they come in threes as well, as far as he encounters Pharaoh outdoors with some kind of encounter in the morning. Then you'll see the next sign. He encounters Pharaoh inside in the court. And then the third one is just like an absolute display of God's power. There's usually very little encounter. So they're in these chunks of threes. That's a literary thing Moses did because it turns out this is a book, if you knew that. Um, And so he's writing these elements. But all of the plagues we're going to look through have this form. There's God's instruction to Moses and Aaron. There's a symbolic action Plague. There's usually an attempted duplication by the Egyptians. There's usually then a resulting full-scale plague, and then Pharaoh hardens his heart. That's the, that's the form we're going to see over and over, is there's this moment of, of God giving the direction, then there's a symbolic action, then the Egyptians try to duplicate it, then there's a resulting plague, and then Pharaoh hardens his heart. So there's this battle that's happening in each one, and there's a victory of God. Really, the first three they try to duplicate. And it says that Pharaoh, in every one of them, hardens his heart. Now, you'll notice in the first five, I'm just going to give you some context before we blitz through this thing. It says he hardens his heart, which is important because in NIV, um, yours might say, like, his heart was made hard or his heart was hardened. The, The key that's actually being said for the first five plagues is more like Pharaoh was committed to the hardness of his heart, meaning Pharaoh chose to harden his heart. Because something that we need to understand about Pharaoh, and really Egypt when we go into this, is that Pharaoh was evil. And I don't mean like he was kind of evil. I mean he was like the epitome of evil at that time. Like if you were to go to, you know, if you were to pick in history a figure, you know, someone might say like, oh, the epitome of evil in the 40s that was Hitler. They would have picked Pharaoh. He was the epitome of evil. And you're like, how do you know that? Well, he instituted mass slavery <laughs> as one shining example and slavery is one of the most evil things that you can have, and people say like, well, it was national, it was different. No, it was slavery, and anytime you make a person less than human because you choose to say so, that's pretty dang evil, and when you do it to a million people, that's really flipping evil, right? Are we we together on this? So Pharaoh is an evil person. He stands symbolically as the Sandy Hitler of his time, right? He is greatly evil, persecuting and killing tons of people. And so when it's talking about his heart being hardened, this was not like a surprise to him. It's like he was such a nice guy, and then God hardened his heart. Right? This is, Pharaoh was evil. He chose to continue to do evil. Does this make sense? And, and this is so important for us to understand, because what Moses is coming into is not like this neutral setting. He is coming into the den of evil. He has walked in into the den of an evil person with people in slavery, dehumanized, trapped, and abused. So here he is, 7, 14. Are you with me? Amen. All right, let's do it. 14, this is the first plague. That was a sign this is a plague. Here it is. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Surprise. He refuses to let people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he's going out of the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him, and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn to blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff, stretch your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers, their canals, their ponds, their pools, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood through all the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and the vessels of stone. Verse 20 says, and Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh, in the sight of the servants, he lifted the staff, struck the water, and all of it turned to blood. It says, verse 22, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts, so Pharaoh's heart remained Harden and he would not listen to them as the Lord said. Okay, this is important. So, here's this this moment where they go and they strike the water, and people say, What was natural causes? You know, uh, there was a red algae that turned it like crimson. They didn't really mean like blood, they meant it looked like blood. There's all this kind of theory. But let me tell you, if it's natural, you usually don't call magicians to duplicate it. Make sense? You would just take a pot and be like, It's called the rain. (laughs) Like, right? This is something. Uh, special and supernatural that's happening and there's a battle that's occurring note the battle between the trusted power and authority of those who were likened to gods in Egypt and would display through their secret arts power and the power of God now they couldn't unmake it blood but they could apparently do something that made it as blood and we'll talk about secret arts in a second But I think it's important because the ultimate victory of the one true God, Yahweh, over the false gods of the Egyptians began with the humiliation of the Nile, began with the desecration of the Nile. If someone has a God and you turn it to blood or turn their temple to blood, that's called desecration. And if you really want to pop it off when you go in to do some plagues, number one is take the most important God and turn them to blood. Are you with me? And so there's something powerful that's happening here where God Is not just showing his power, but he's showing the subordinate impotence of Egypt. He is making a fool out of Egypt. He's not just looking stronger. He's making them look super weak. And when you're a superpower, the one thing you don't want to look is incredibly weak. And so he's submitting them. Okay, anybody here like frogs? Good, you're about to hate them. So verse 8, people are like, what? No. Uh, ver- chapter 8, verse 1, it says this, the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go. We've heard that before, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. And you're like, well, is that really a big deal? Well, here's what happens. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed, into the houses of your servants and your people, into your ovens. What do you think baked frog smells like? brutal and in a, right in your kneading bowls what do you think smashed frog smells like the frog shall come up on you and on your people You're just laying frogs and all and the lord said to moses say to aaron stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers over the canals over the pools make frogs come up on the land of egypt so aaron stretched his hand out of the waters of egypt frogs came up covered the land but magicians did the same by their sacred arts and made frogs come up on the land of egypt you see the battle then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord, take away the frogs from me and my people, and I will let the people go sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and your servants, for the people the frogs, to cut off from you and your house and be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow. And Moses said, Be it as you say, that you may know that there is no one like our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your house, and your servants and your people shall be left only in the Nile. If we jump down, it says, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died in the houses and the courtyards and the fields. They gathered them together in heaps, heaps of frogs, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart. Key into that. He hardened his heart and would not listen to them, as the Lord said. Okay, here's the third one in the order. Was the outside, minimum sign. Now there's a display. It says, the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so it may become gnats in the land of Egypt. Let me give you some clarity on gnats. The word there is actually biting insects. And so they say that it's often most clearly translated not as gnats like we would think, but like mosquitoes or biting insects. So when I'm going to say gnats, because that's what the Bible says, but the word that they most likely meant would be closer to how we would understand mosquitoes. And so here is the plague, the third plague. It says, they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats, mosquitoes, biting insects on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became biting insects in the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce them, but they could not. So there were biting insects on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. OK, this is important because up till now, the magicians could duplicate this, but this is this is so important. what they're doing is a pattern of evil. What the magicians are doing is a pattern of evil that still exists is the evil will always try to make a counterfeit to the work of God. This is important when see. Evil will always try to counterfeit something that God is doing, but that counterfeit will always fail against the real power of God, especially when you put them up against each other. A counterfeit looks good, till so you put it up against the real thing. You know, when Satan comes to Jesus in the desert, what he does is he takes scripture, he takes the word of God, and he tries to twist it. And make it a trick and make it a trap and use it against Jesus. And he shows him visions of things. And he's trying to use something that was meant for good to be a counterfeit. To come against it. Except Jesus knows the scripture. And he uses real power to defeat him. Because the counterfeit cannot stand up to the power. And so the magicians, we heard that phrase over and over, secret arts. They use secret arts. See, that phrase is not meant to be supernatural power. That's not what it means. That phrase in the Hebrew is closer to tricks or illusions. This is my favorite word. It's closer to clever tricks or illusions by ways where they would deceive. There's deceit built into this. And so what Moses is trying to show is saying, listen, the schemes, the deceit, the lies, the counterfeit of evil might be convincing, but there's a moment where even they are going to have to realize that God is God, which is a major theme of Exodus. You are either going to recognize that the Lord is the Lord through joy or through judgment, but you're going to recognize. And so Moses is riding to say, listen, it worked for the snake. It worked with the blood. They even must have found some frogs or something. I don't know what they did, but it was wild. They had their ways. They were very powerful. But their power was not greater than the power of God. And I think, to be fair, mosquitoes would have pushed me over too. Like, hey, listen, guys, <laughs> I was cool to round up some, flo- some frogs, but I cannot do this whole biting insect mosquito thing. I'm out of here. And so what we're going to see in in the transition as it jumps here in Exodus 8.20 is that there is a transition from all-out, kind of like, or from inconvenience to all-out panic, right? Like, if you follow the plagues, they ramp up. Like, the water thing was tough, but it said they drank it, but they still got sick. Frogs was brutal and stinky, but no one really is getting hurt, right? All of a sudden, you get to mosquitoes. People are like, okay, I'm starting to super hate this. (laughs) Like, these are ramping up, and they're just going to go more and more and more. But watch this. Exodus 8.20. If you got your... Bible, say amen. Amen. Exodus 20 says this. The Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh. As he goes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me or else I will not let my, or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies, meaning flying insects on you. And your servants and your people and your houses and the house of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies, also the ground on which they stand. Think about that. There's no, there's no glass. If there's flies out, they're going to be in your house. Imagine having so much flies that when you walk, you walk on flies. Yeah, he was right. It's a plague. <laughs> It says this, but on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell, the Israelites, where they are, so that no swarm of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Okay, this is important. Can you imagine? You're in Egypt, and you are surrounded by flies. Everywhere you go, flies. Flies everywhere. Flies when you sleep. Flies when you turn the blanket. Flies in your house. Flies in your food. Then you're walking by Goshen. No flies. You would want to know what's up, right? Like, not a single fly. The people that you have brutally oppressed for 400 years somehow have no flies, right? You have one Egyptian. We're going to call him Gary because that's all I can think of. And, and he's just covered in flies. Everywhere he goes, fly, he's got a fly suit. He's got some fly shoes. He's got a fly hat. Everything flies. And then you have uh, Samuel or something over here. And no flies. Totally fine. Getting tan. He's just doing his work, living his life. Right, God is making an obvious separation between, like, I'm not here messing with Egypt. I'm here to mess with you. Right, like, there's a separation. These are my people. These are the people enslaving them. there's a clear separation that God is dividing in this moment between the two things. To say, I'm plaguing the people that are oppressing my people. It's important. And so Pharaoh says, fine, 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 fine. You can have a holy day where you can worship. Moses says, no, no, that's not good enough. And he says, fine, then you can go and you can worship. You can go, you can worship, you can do your thing. Finally, I will let you go. Sacrifice to the Lord in the wilderness. But it says this. Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. I'm sorry, I got to back up. I'm sorry. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, behold... I'm going out from you. I will plead with the Lord that the swarm of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarm of flies from Pharaoh and his servants and his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let people go. This is an important moment right here. Because God has given Pharaoh these chances to turn. Chances to have a soft heart. All this time, Pharaoh hardening his heart. But what you're going to notice is a shift here. A shift. Because Pharaoh has said, listen, this is my heart. I have a heart of stone and of evil. And I will continue to do evil against your people. And God didn't come to suffer the evil of man. He came to defeat it. And so... He gives them six more plagues. Exodus 9, the livestock, same form, same format. The livestock died. The Egyptians' livestock dies. It says in 9-7, Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. The sixth plague boils, right? Moses goes before, takes a handful of sip. Is that like like basketball, like all of a sudden, boils on everybody, on all their body. The magicians can't even stand in the presence anymore. They were so cocky with the snake thing. Even though it got eaten, they had to go back and figure that out. But they couldn't even stand before the presence of Moses and Aaron because of the, the boils that, that came upon them in their body and all the Egyptians. But it says in uh, Exodus nine twelve, But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Oh, well, that's interesting. But the Lord... Did you read that with me? Did you read that? But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Okay, well, let's keep going. Hail, seventh plague. It says hail comes and it kills all the crops of the Egyptians. And this is not an import economy. This is a grow it economy, right? So they're growing food. And it says it comes and it kills the crops of the Egyptians so they have very little to eat. And Pharaoh, again, promises to let the people go, but he comes back on his promise, and we see in Exodus 9, 34, it says, When Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he didn't let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Like, man, really, all this still hard-hearted? Yep, Locust chapter 10 locusts come and they cover the fields it says it was as a a darkness came upon could you imagine to look out right here and just every square inch was covered by locusts some of y'all would never sleep again my wife being one of them anyone here have those bug dreams we're like you're talking about bugs today i'm not gonna sleep for like four and a half months but going around my house with anointing oil just like trying to get it right like not today satan right (laughs) But the locusts come in, and it says this, that, that he recognized something is wrong. It says it covers the whole face of the whole land. It says then, verse 16, chapter 10, verse 16, Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive me my sin. Please only this once, and plead with the Lord your God to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord turned the wind to a very strong west wind. Which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in the country of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. Okay, ninth plague. This is the last one we're going to hit right now. Darkness. See, darkness was terrifying in that age because it's not like they had, like, LED lights, street lights, things. Like, darkness was something impactful. And unless, I mean, a candle cannot throw a light that far, even a torch cannot throw a light that far. There's something powerful about those moments of darkness. And so it said something when darkness came upon. That's why they'd freak out at eclipses, right? It was like this sign that, that their God was sending them some kind of punishment because darkness was seen as a, as a punishment. Light was seen as life. And so in this moment, God sends darkness upon the land, and it's not just for a day, right? It's for a period of time. These plagues are happening over months of time, right? Over and over, these things are happening over and over in time for a long stretch. It's not like tonight was really dark. It's like this week, I didn't see a face. Could you imagine, like, not seeing a person or a thing or being able to work your land? Like, you have a cow somewhere out here in the field. Who knows, right? You're wandering through a city hoping your candle was enough. Just that eerie feeling of being completely dark all the time. It would be terrifying. We would all go bananas. And yet it says in Exodus 10, 27, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me, to Moses. Take care to never see my face again, for the one day you see my face, you shall die. Moses says, as you say, I will not see your face again, which is kind of like a sick burn. <laughs> but there's a there's a shift that that's occurred. I don't know if you caught that. The first five plagues says Pharaoh hardened his heart. And all of a sudden, we start getting this, where God hardens Pharaoh's heart. That's it. We're like, whoa, I don't, I don't like that. That's a confusing God for me to get. Okay, well, let me explain. See, what we see in Exodus is chance after chance after chance to repent. And yet, uh, Pharaoh chooses evil. See, this is important. God knows the heart. And God did not create evil. People are like, God created everything. He must have created evil. No, God created a choice. See, God created a choice to choose to love him, to serve him, to put him on the throne, to follow him with your life. We chose evil. We chose selfishness. We chose us on the throne. And when you make a choice, it always impregnates your life with something that you will give birth to. Follow me. If you choose selfishness, if mankind chooses to serve themselves, about themselves, what I want, the desires of my flesh, the carnality of my being, I am God of myself, it will give birth to hurt and pain and evil. That's how it works. So you have been given a choice. And Pharaoh said, I choose myself, I choose my power, I choose my evil. God said, fine, and that's what it will give birth to. But the shift that occurs is that God says, I didn't create this evil, but I'm going to use it to show that the evil of man cannot overcome the power of God. See, here's what is so important. See, no one at this time, remember, Pharaoh is symbolic as much as he is anything in this moment. Nobody is working harder to keep people trapped in slavery than Pharaoh. And no one is working harder to release them from slavery than God. And in that fight, God will always win. Because God's purpose and plans are greater than man's evil. See, this is the message of Exodus. If you get anything, remember I said get this. The purpose and plans of God are greater than man's evil. This is the message of Scripture, if you get it, is that the complete evil of man cannot thwart God's plan to bless his people, to save his people. God will not be mocked. God will not be beaten. God will not be destroyed. There is no evil, as evil as it can get on this earth, that is greater than what God has planned to use to deliver his people. Think about it. We did a series on Joseph. Joseph was attempted murder, they tried to kill him, they threw him in a well, they sold him into slavery, he did okay in slavery, then he went to jail, then he rose up and he was in jail again, right, here's a guy who's been in prison, enslaved, and you're like, how can anything happen, and yet God used what the enemy meant to destroy him, to cast him off into isolation, God used to save his people from starvation, see, God constantly uses what the enemy meant to destroy, to actually rescue Because the purpose and plans of God to bless his people are greater than the evil of men. See, Paul knew this. He wrote in Romans 9, 14 through 18. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the Spirit says to Pharaoh, Or for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. See, Paul is not commenting here on how God is hardening his heart, but on the connected nature between the religious leaders of the day and Pharaoh. Between our human nature to want to surrender our hearts to evil, but receive the blessings of a good God. To want to put ourselves on the throne and yet certain, and it's like, listen, listen, this is pointing to a consistent theme where, where God is, is saying, listen, I, I, I've come with these signs that you might repent, but Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And so listen, I'm going to save my people. I'm going to release my people. I didn't make evil, but I'm going to bring about salvation. It's the same theme as Jesus, Right. The greatest evil that man could muster to beat and to shame and to crucify Jesus Christ, God used to save every one of us through his resurrection. Think about that. The most evil that could be thought, the most shame at that time, the most brutal murder that you could do was used by God to bring about salvation for the very people that that were at the bottom of the cross mocking him. The very people that were there shouting, hey, why don't you get your angels down here to do some work? Those same people God used to bring about salvation. The trump card of evil is always death, and yet God used even death to bring life for all of us. I love Peter, he gets up, man, I like Peter because he's a mess, and his mouth gets him in trouble, so I appreciate that, because I feel like he's my brother, Um, (laughs) and he's just overly excited about things, overly passionate, Um, that's why I don't own a sword, Um, but he says, Acts 2, he stands up, filled, filled with the Holy Spirit, and says this, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter says "At best, you killed Jesus. But turns out, God used your evil, and God brought about a greater good. But again, God's not making evil. He's not like orchestrating evil pieces on a chessboard like, oh, we'll use uh, all of this evil to bring this good thing about. That's not what it's saying. It's saying you thought you destroyed goodness, but God's goodness is greater than your destructive power. There's a big difference between God is orchestrating all this evil to instead saying, listen, evil is evil and it comes against goodness, but God's goodness is greater than evil. And that's important. Because all the evil men rejoice like we did it, Satan rejoices. There is a parallel between Satan and Pharaoh and that they are a mighty source of evil that stands against the deliverance of God's people. And yet God said, listen, you think you're so strong, but I'm about to literally crush you with flies. Think about that. Not another army, not chariots, not like angels on fire riding out of the sky, flipping frogs to show you, you're not even on the same page, you're not even on the same chessboard right now, right? The enemy comes against Jesus to kill, right, To, to hang him upon a cross, and yet Jesus is like, man, you're not even in the same game as me, you're just helping me fulfill some prophecy up here, because I'm going to release my people, because it turns out that the evil of man is not greater than the goodness of God. And if God has a purpose and a plan, then the greatest evil on earth doesn't stop it. Because it comes from him. Can I tell you, that's something only God can do. Only God has that much redemptive power. Only God has the power to turn a crucifixion into a redemption. Right, only God has the power to overcome the brutal evil of a dynasty for thousands of years that reigns in complete oppression. Only God, only God can do that. So evil tries to keep the Israelites in slavery, to hurt them, to lock them up. And Satan tries to keep Jesus trapped in death, to destroy him. And for many of you, the enemy by the hands of men, have tried to trap you and lock you into slavery, into darkness, into death. And many of us, we feel unqualified to have a plan or purpose in our life. Because if we had a plan, this would be like plan X. We're so far away from plan A because what people have done to us. We're so far down because of what they've said to us. We're so far down because how we've been hurt. We feel like people have robbed us of a purpose in our life. It's too late for me. I know Moses was 80. I know he happened to also be a murderer, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what's been done to me, the hurt that's been done to me, the pain that's been done to me. How can God use this much of a mess? How could God have a purpose still for this kind of person, for this kind of broken person? And you have to hear God's plans do not get trumped by evil. Someone has done evil to you. They have hurt you. They have broken you. They have come against you. They have spoken over you. The family that was supposed to love you ended up hurting you. The people that were supposed to care for you and speak life into you actually cut you down and destroyed you. The man or woman that was supposed to love you hurt you broke you, abused you verbally, physically, sexually. There's so many things in our life that we carry around us, and we wonder if the evil of man has so disqualified me, not because of anything I've done, but because of what's been done to me, has so disqualified me for being part of the redemptive, mighty purpose and plan of God. But the important thing to hear this morning is that God's purpose and plan is greater, is greater than the evil. Man, somebody at a church that you serve faithfully at didn't treat you like somebody you serve faithfully at a church with should treat you. And so you're like, man, I don't even know if I should get fired up about the mission of what God's doing at Banner Church because I've been so hurt. I got so much pain. But hear me say God's purpose and plan for your life is greater than the evil of man that has come against you. If God's purpose and plan and power was greater in Exodus, over all of Egypt, and if God's purpose and plan and power to bless his children through Jesus Christ was greater than death, hell, and the grave, then it's still greater. It's still greater. It's still greater today. It's still greater in your life. It's still greater in your family. It's still greater in your your dreams and your visions and your goals. It's still greater, though the evil of man has come against you in a very real way. To try to trap you in slavery, it's not greater than God. If it couldn't destroy the blessings of God for Israel, and if it couldn't destroy for all mankind through Jesus Christ, it certainly can't just all of a sudden destroy it today. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, Moses faced the greatest evil on earth. Jesus faced the greatest evil of all time. And you might be facing the greatest evil of your generation, and yet you are not facing something greater than God. See, John 10.10 says... The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. This is important because we're often so surprised that the enemy comes with evil, but that's kind of his thing. Like, his thing is to be the worst, like the worst. That's his thing. He doesn't have another thing. He doesn't, like, go on vacation. He doesn't take a day off. Like, he's not like, well, you know, I'm just into this now until I figure out what my major is. Like, no. No. That's his whole thing, steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy wants to steal your life and your future. He wants to kill you and your hopes and your dreams. And he wants to destroy the legacy of the church that God intends to leave through you. He wants to steal your purpose. He wants to destroy your identity. He wants to kill your future, right? That is the enemy. He is very real. Oftentimes, we're the only ones convinced he's not real. He's very real, and he very much hates you. But God came that we might have life and have it to the fullest. And not just life. I love that he adds and to the fullest. Like not just life, not surviving, thriving under the plan and purpose of God for your life. Not without suffering, not without facing difficulty, not without facing adversity. I mean, anybody in the Bible would be the first one to tell you it's not without adversity. But he came to have a life and have it to the fullest. The fullest freedom to be filled with fully with the Holy Spirit, to walk in the fullness of the mission to spread the gospel and bring hope and light to the darkness as unqualified, as messed up, as messy as you might feel, you are gifted and called to bring hope and life to the darkest places. You got a plan and a purpose that is eternally secured. And the best part is that what has been done to you cannot steal what has been planned for you. Some days that's harder to believe than others, but if you're here this morning, I believe that God wants to release you and to heal you from the hurt and pain in your life so that he might send you into the purpose and the plan and the blessing that he's called you to walk with him to be filled with his spirit, to be part of his great mission, to get a revelation even deeper of his love for you, to walk in the confidence of your identity as a child of God, no longer in the hurt and the pain and those things, but release that you might be fully a child of God. His plan and his purpose for you is that you would walk with him, to be in love with him, to serve him. i have the band come up. much as I love, <coughs> sorry, Jim Elliott, I think I love, um, maybe even more his wife. Because Jim made a, made an amazing step out and he stands and, and, and all five of those men, they stand as as symbolic martyrs of the mission. I think there's something special about those that give their life so that others might know and might be free. But his wife is amazing to me. Uh Women, y'all are strong. And I think if your husband gets murdered in a foreign country, uh, I would not um, blame you for going home with your children and leaving uh, the jungles of Brazil. I don't think anyone would blame you. And yet, Elizabeth Elliot feels called by God, just as her husband was called. To bring the gospel to an unreached people group. And so she stays. And they begin to establish contact with this unreached people group. And and this isn't like another unreached. This is the same one that killed their family. This isn't like metaphorically killed. This is like they actually killed her husband. You have to think about that. They took your husband from you, from from you, from your children, your dad. They would not grow up with this guy. Not grow up with the dead. This is a harsh evil that she's facing. But instead, she chooses to give it to the Lord. And they make contact and they begin to build a relationship. And at one point, they end up leading the chief and then this tribe to Jesus. And this tribe gives their life to the Lord and serves Him. And the craziest part of the story is that the man who kills her husband gives his life to the Lord, repents of his evil, and like Saul to Paul, comes on this restorative journey. And that this man who committed such great evil because of a work of God becomes the godfather of her son. And they traveled the world spreading the gospel. See, only God can do that. I can't do that. Like, that's, that's, not, in, that's not in me. That, doesn't, that, that has to be from the Holy Spirit, right? Like, if someone comes and takes somebody from me, that's going to have to be work of God, right? But that's what God does is because the world would say, man, just go home like you did it. Like, my goodness, you've, you've given enough. And she says, no, listen, the end of my story will not be the evil man. The evil of man, the evil of mankind, because it turns out God's got a whole new chapter to write. Right? It turns out God's got a whole new chapter to write. It says, the evil of man came against my family, and it robbed, and it stole, and it killed and destroyed. But God did this. But God restored. But God brought life. But but God brought hope. But God brought freedom. But God brought salvation. See, this is what God is trying to show us in Exodus, is this is the greatest evil the world could imagine in this moment that is locking you into slavery. I destroyed it. I crushed it. I beat it. I buried it under the ground. Then he says, listen, this is Jesus coming against the greatest evil any of us can imagine, death, hell, and the grave, right? Unless you know know what's beyond there. Good luck. But this is the greatest evil that he came against. He said, I destroyed it. I beat it. I buried it. It's gone all your sin, all your shame. And so he says, listen, the things where people have hurt you and damaged you and beat on you, I can heal you. I can restore you. And though this might feel like the end of your story, I could turn the page on that and say, but God did this. But God restored. But God released. But God freed. But God used because the purpose and plans of God are greater than the evil of man. Would you stand with me this morning? As they're standing, would you just close your eyes and bow your heads? I want you to be able to just, just wait upon the Lord in this moment. I believe in a church that is free. See, what's crazy to me is as much as the Israelites were abused at the hand of the Egyptians. And as much as God, with his mighty hand, saved them out of the hands of the Egyptians. There were times when they still wanted to return to slavery because that's what they knew. They wanted to return to that hurt. They wanted to return to that pain because that was their identity. And sometimes holding on to pain feels better because we can control it more than we can releasing it. And the same thing is true with Jesus Christ is that he came that we might have salvation. The doors to your prison are open. You're still in prison if you choose to sit there. But he has come to release you, and yet oftentimes we will return to that hurt and pain because it's what we know. It's our identity. It's the identity that's been given to us. And yet God has come to release us and say your identity is not hurt and pain that's been done to you. It's not the things that people have said or done or acted upon you or forced upon you. It is your identity is the freedom that comes through Jesus Christ. And you have a plan and a purpose through him. And if you choose today to say, God, I release this pain and this hurt that I'm carrying and I give it to you and I surrender it to you, I believe in the miraculous power that will heal you And set you free and release you so in this moment you can say yes the evil of man came against me and yet the god who is for me is greater than he who is against me and though the enemy came to steal kill and destroy god has come that i might have life and have it to the fullest and so today jesus i choose to give you and surrender all my hurt and my pain to you to release control When I say surrender, that means releasing authority and control completely to him. God, I release it. I'm not going back. I'm not going back to Egypt. I'm going to release it fully to you because you have all the power to take it from me and heal me. But he's asking you today, will you make that choice? Will you stay in Egypt or will you be released? That's you this morning. You have hurt and pain in your life. Things that have been done to you that have tried to rob your identity and you wrestle with your purpose. And you're saying this morning, God, I want to give these things to you, all this hurt, all this pain. I want to surrender it to you and let you show me the plan and purpose for my life to walk with me, to fill me, to give me a deep revelation of your love. That's you this morning, and you're saying, you know what? Today is the day where I let go of the hurt and pain, and I give it to the Lord because the power, the plan, and the purpose of God is greater than the evil of man that's come against me. Today is the day that I release it and I surrender it to God, never to walk out another door with it on my shoulders. Today is the day that I release my hurt and my pain to the Lord. If that's you this morning, every eye closed, every head bowed, would you just lift your hands with me? It's just a form of release and surrender. God, today we release it to you. And just leave them up. I'm going to pray for you all around the room. Just leave them up. Lift him up. This is you and him. No one's looking at you. This is God, I give it to you. God, I lift this up to you. I surrender this to you. This is you and him. God, I give it to you. I know it's going to hurt because you're going to want to immediately grab it back. You're going to immediately want to run to Egypt. You're going to immediately want to run back. But God's saying, no, I beat the grave. I defeated Egypt. I've released you. Do not run back to it. Take this moment and release it. All the hurt, all the pain, all those things, the parents that were supposed to protect you that didn't, the people that are supposed to love you that didn't treat you right, the things that they said, the things that they did, you're just going to release it and be healed. The things that have overcome your mind, the identity that you have, you're releasing it in the name of Jesus. I want to pray for you with your hands raised. God, I pray right now for every hand that's lifted up in this place, every hurt, every pain that is held on to so tightly, God, because sometimes that's what we have. But in this moment, you are releasing by the power of your Holy Spirit the pain and the hurt we are saying God I surrender it to you if that's you in this room in your heart just say this morning God I surrender it to you I give it to you fully I give you my heart every messy part every broken piece I surrender to you fully and say God would you write the new chapter of my life? Would you affirm the purpose in my identity rooted in you as a child of God? That I might never come back to this again. I release the hurt. I release the pain. God, could you use what the enemy meant for evil to bring about a good testimony and a good a good truth of who you are, God? The enemy means destruction. You mean life to the fullest. And so I receive that this morning, God. Heal me. Heal me. Heal me. Release Come on, someone in this room, you're still holding on to it. You don't actually believe. You're just struggling right now. And I know we got to go into this song. We got to do the things and discover. But right now your head's bowed, your eyes are closed, and you're just, you're struggling right now to release it because you've had it for so long. You've had it for such a long time that even though you don't tell everybody, it really defines you. And right now, every eye closed, every head bowed, you're just going to lift it up to him and just say, Jesus, I release it. I give it to you. No longer to hold, but to be free, to be released in the name of Jesus. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the spirit of God is here this morning. And he has come to set you free and release you in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Because our God is faithful. Our God is good. Our God is mighty. Our God is powerful. Our God can build a testimony. Our God can build a message out of a mess. Our God can do something great out of what you feel like is so broken and destroyed. God, I give it to you because you are faithful, you are good, and all your promises are yes and amen, Lord.